and welcome to a special bonus episode of the 1L2N podcast. Today we are going behind the scenes and delving deeper into the making of our first orchestrated narrative, The Cursing Tree. I am your host, Amy, and today I'm joined by the creators of The Cursing Tree, Mike. Hello. Tommy. Hello, hello. And Missy. Hi. If you haven't already, go and check out The Cursing Tree, which you can find on our podcast or our website, which is 1L2NProductions.com. Since there will be spoilers, we want to make sure you get the full experience before we dive in today. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to go behind the scenes with you and pick (laughs) your brains a little bit. To start out this behind the scenes look, I want to first ask, what is an orchestrated narrative? An orchestrated narrative is a term that we have used to describe a type of media that we want to present. It is a story that we write, and we take originally composed music on top of that and combine the two together into a different style of the art form. It stems from the idea that when I listen to audiobooks, sometimes there's little musical snippets right at the beginning of a chapter and they always disappear. And I did not want that to happen. I wanted the music to continue and to create an experience that is complementary to the narration in which you can go back and listen to something multiple times and get new things from it each time. So we are calling this an orchestrated narrative. The idea that it is not only a narrative, but we have original compositions to orchestrate the music throughout it. To build on that, we're not just putting music to a story we wrote. We are writing the music specific to the story. So in short, essentially, it's a audiobook with music and the music and book are completely original by us. And then on top of that, they're both working together to tell the same story. What was the original inspiration for this story? It, it spawned when the four of us and this isn't including Mike, sorry, it was, it was Liam instead of Mike. We were all hiking together, and we were surrounded by beautiful nature. And a lot of times you see in nature, especially on hikes in popular spots, where you see a bunch of arboglyphs, and you would see just a bunch of little hearts, and then you would see their initials. It would be letter plus letter. And I always found it interesting that people love to leave their marks on wood, especially trees i didn't really get it but i was i always felt like there was a story to tell there and we began kind of workshopping this idea together that what if whenever you did this to this specific tree we didn't know what it was but what if it either cursed or blessed you it was really a test of one's relationship to see whether that relationship was going to last or not and i guess that was the original idea we all kind of workshopped together and came up with well so then how did it evolve from this story you had on a hike to where it is now people might not know because we we haven't released it we originally when we had the idea of doing 1l2 in productions and we wanted to create a podcast about storytelling the very first time we recorded we asked each other what is an idea that you've had that you want to tell a story about and amy and tommy brought up this specific concept of a tree that curses people. And I, for some reason, just clicked with that idea and it just delved into my head. And I started to concept a story, not about a tree that curses people when it's carved into, 
I thought, what would make a tree want to curse you because of initial carvings? And that is kind of the concept behind this. Not just the tree cursing you, but what is the motivation of that tree? Now, this story is a villain origin story. What compelled you to turn it into that villain origin story slash tragedy? Did you have that in mind from the beginning with that concept? Or did you want to take it there because you like that genre? Or what was your thought process? The idea of a villain origin story is always something that I really enjoyed. I like tragedies. I like sad things. It gives me a lot of inspiration. It's very fun to listen to. Um, even if it affects you, I know a lot of people don't like it, but I think it's an important emotion that is needed to be explored. One of my favorite things that Pixar has ever done was the movie Up. Up has the most impactful and wonderful beginning of any of the Pixar films that I've seen. And it is tragedy wrapped up in a love story. You know, an old man finds the love of his life, grows old, loses her, and now is alone. And I think that is the inspiration that I merged with the idea that Amy and Tommy and Missy and Liam all came up with, with that cursing tree. What would make a tree want to curse people? Well, maybe it's the loss of its love. And that is the, the starting point for the story that I wanted to tell. I wanted to tell a tragedy where you see a villain go from being happy to incredibly sad and then making the wrong choice in the end. And I think to to just kind of add on to that like idea, it was to really build up this idea of love. It wasn't to just say, you know what, this is one, two pages of love and 10 pages of like the cursing tree. It is it is a full story about them figuring out who they are, figuring out that they love each other, growing old together. And then the cursing tree is pretty much the very last thing, because I think it makes the idea of loss so much more impactful when you've spent 40 minutes listening to how how they came together, how they came to be, essentially. And that is exactly true. That is one of the key focus that we had while writing this and especially doing some of the music was how do we create a love story that ends unhappily? One of the things I thought was interesting was how you broke the story up into different parts, specifically different seasons. So talk to me a little bit about the way the story flows through the different seasons. One of the things that I'd been doing a lot of reading about is story arcs and how to create a story that moves from point A to point B. And you see a lot of this in, you know, a hero's journey, basic things like save the cat. But one actually introduced me to a unique way of telling a story, which is the story circle by Dan Harmon. He's the creator of Community and other things. I believe he's done Rick and Morty and various other productions. His story circle is very simple. It's an eight part, goes from order to chaos and back to order. It guides you through a process of making decisions for a character or showing where the overall character arc can go. And that is a basis for some of the things that I wrote. I wanted to start the story off where a character was in a situation where it decided it wanted to make a change in its life which in this case was the Lonely Oak in springtime in a point of growth. We transitioned the story into a summer tale, which is something heroic happens. Summer is full of adventure and it is a great time. 
I used summer to get closer to the lovely beach so that the oak and the lovely beach are now matched up. Like summer love. Exactly, yeah. During fall, fall is a beautiful season. There's weddings there all the time, just like spring. But there's also a little bit of sadness to fall because you know that winter is right about to be around the corner. And then winter comes and it is cold, long, dark, and you just want it to be spring again, but it never seems like it's going to be. So if you look at the story and the way that we told it, it tells that love tale through those four seasons and it does it looking at a story circle perspective so that you can have a good character arc and a good story movement, but not stray too far from a very traditional way of telling a story. Plus the fact that the story is essentially about nature. You know, we're personifying nature, having instead of the seasons of life that humans typically go through, having the seasons of nature for our characters to go through is just a natural extension to our subject matter. Now, when writing this story, when you're using season cycles compared to human cycles, that must have been difficult for you guys. Did you find that was one of the most difficult parts or were there any other parts that were difficult when creating this story or anything that you were conflicted on when you were creating this story? There was definitely a lot that I was conflicted on writing this story. At first, I wanted this to be an intro to an entire massive story that dealt with people coming up and seeing the cursing tree and slowly being cursed over their lives by it. But when I started to really focus in, I thought simplicity was probably a better way to go about telling the story. And I also wanted to tell something that could be complete in and of itself. That was not a cliffhanger that did not need additional context to writing. So for me personally, trying to limit myself in the way that I wanted to tell the story and where it could go and make a complete story first and foremost was a little bit more challenging to do. I'm happy where we ended up with it. I will say there's one specific part that has been hotly debated, <laughs> and it was the last addition to the cursing tree, and that is the intro. Mm -hmm. The entire song that you hear in the beginning, the burning of the village, the track specifically is called Their World Burned. We put that in after everything else, after almost all the music was written, and we gave out some samples to some people to take a listen to and give us some feedback on. One of the things that we heard in that feedback was the intro to the, the story itself might have been a little boring. And unfortunately, when you are writing, you do have to think about your audience interests. If you know that the end of your story is going to be great, you also need to make the beginning of it good so that they will be interested enough to get to the end. It's the classic need to have a hook. Whether you're writing a thesis or a story, you have to give your audience a reason to want to stick around. And up until that point, our story wasn't necessarily compelling people past like the first minute, like, hey, come stick around, hang with it. It's well worth it. You know, it just seemed a little weak. And of course, the, the concept that we have of these orchestrated narratives blending together original music and a story is interesting in and of itself, but is it interesting enough to hold somebody's attention for the near 45 minutes length of the story? Probably not. So we all got together as a group and storyboarded a bit, trying to figure out what would the intro be? How can we figure out a way to hook people, but also not betray that complete story circle that we were going for? 
And one of the options is a cold opening. The great debate, we like to call it yeah. here. <laughs> it's something that I've never experienced writing before because I already wrote the entire thing. We edited it. We started doing the music and we handed it out as a rough draft. And all of a sudden we need to go back and add something to it. So Tommy and I spent a lot of time adding something to it. And Tommy, what was the debate that we just kept having? We, we added uh, what we call a part zero to it to make it a hook and, and have it be interesting for other audience members. But it was, should we scrap the entirety of this part zero or should we keep it in? There were many reasons as to why we should keep it in and why we, we shouldn't. You know, Not to look at our work as, as terrible, because I think we're both proud of our work, but I think we both agree together when composing part zero, it was our weakest bit of composing. Yes. So we were afraid that this idea of having our weakest bit of composing as our hook to draw people in may be doing the exact opposite of what the hook is designed to do in the first place. So we were definitely afraid that it, would, it was a turnoff. And then on top of that, we were afraid that, you know, the music and the narration didn't feel as if it tied completely back in with the rest of the story. It was it was like, OK, these are the reasons we want to take this out. But when we did finally, you know, say, OK, let's just let's just experiment. Let's start from where we originally created it. Let's start from part one. And that's what we did. And we're like, wow, we really like part one when part zero is in there. We really like part one because there's a there's a 40 second chunk of music that has no narration that really works when part zero is in there. And the entire first section of, of part one just works only if part zero is in there. And I don't think it's because part zero was bad and part one is just better than that. I, I think it's more so that it's it's a wonderful contrast between the two. And the beginning of part one gives you essentially a little pause to process what just went on, as well as transition into the story that we really want to tell. It was it was really funny. The feedback that we did get, Mike and I were saying, oh, man, this is our weakest composing for part zero. And the feedback we got was, wow, part zero was great. I really liked the composing there. And we were both like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. but but it's it's the exact reason why you need feedback you need others opinions on your work because you may feel as though something is terrible but others may love it and, and that's the reason why we did hand it out to other people to add on to i guess the part specifically for me i i didn't write this and i have trouble writing i have trouble focusing in general but i designed a lot of the music with help of mike of course for part three and part three was a struggle for me personally because I suck at writing transitions and then I realized I took the part that is just one big transition from summer to winter. I have to somehow convey growing old and then kind of not this eeriness but this this darkness encroaching without you really realizing that there's a darkness encroaching and that was a huge struggle for me. I actually wrote the first part of part three first and then the, th the last part, and then I wrote the middle. So on top of having to write an entire transition, I damned myself to write a transition for the transition I already am <laughs> trying to write. So it was, it was this difficult thing, but it's also the wonderful thing about working with someone in music because it was something I was like, you know what? I think this is the best I can possibly do. And I handed it off to you, Mike. And you took those parts that were definitely weak for me and made it something 
wonderful in my opinion something magical it was like this is exactly what it was missing i'm glad i handed it off to you again another entire reason why i think having other people listen to your stuff and give you feedback is extremely important to making something you want to make that much more better yeah i think for this entire process the collaboration that we've had with each other and getting feedback from others has been the best part of it because by ourselves we can make good things but together i feel like we made something great yes i'm not saying that we are now at the same level of john williams or no, no. any great composer or story writer but when i listen to it i don't get bored and i'm very judgmental of my own work and i know the things that we need to improve upon but i could not have done what i did and i'm sure as Tommy just said, he couldn't have done the same thing he did without the help of others. Yeah, extremely important. It's been really fun figuring out the entire process that we had to go through to get to this point. Well, let's actually talk about the process of developing this project, because this is kind of a new concept. I'm sure it's out there, but it's definitely a new concept for all of us. How did you guys go about that? What, how did you start that whole process? of combining the story and music together or just starting the process, I suppose. Yeah. Let's, let's start at the very beginning. You guys came up with the idea and then I outlined it. I think the very first thing you want to do is make an outline. And then I had a pitch meeting with everybody saying, I'm working on this and I'm writing this. And it took me a couple of weeks just to get the overall written work done. It was about, I think it was about 10 pages, about 5,000 words, somewhere around there. So right after we got to that point where we wrote all the material that we needed, I had to hand it off to somebody because I didn't know if it was good or not. So I had everybody read it. But before we did, we gave it to our editor in chief, Missy. <laughs> well, let's actually talk about the editing real quick. Normally, when someone tries to write the story, they submit it to a publishing company who edits it. But since it's just one L2N publishing our own content, Missy, how does the editing work for that, for this? When I edit, I do two different edits. Sometimes I might blend them together, but oftentimes I run it through twice. I do a technical edit, which is where I'm going through and looking at the grammar, the punctuation, you know, are the nouns and the verbs and the adjectives relating to each other in a logical way. It's the polishing, right? But then I also do a content edit, which is looking at the actual story, looking at the actual actual words that have been chosen and saying what needs to be tweaked or this section is cool but it needs to be developed a little more maybe in this other section it's redundant and it's unnecessary so I actually went through the whole thing twice and looked at it from two completely different perspectives it's a tedious job if you've never edited something that you didn't initially write it can be a little overwhelming and tedious I think it took me about 45 minutes a page to do the initial edit, the initial run through. But, you know, I really enjoy editing, so it wasn't a problem for me. But yeah, it really comes down to does it make sense what is being said? And from a fresh perspective, do the words sound right? Does it flow properly? Uh, so we spent a lot of time going back and forth. I think I sent it several times back to Mike and said, hey, here's all these content notes. What do you think about 
this area, I might have changed some of the verbiage here because it just sounds better or this area. I think it really needs something more. What do you think? Run with it. So we spent a lot of time going back and forth with it. I know one of the things that was brought up, at least on our regular podcast, was the idea of certain terminology and how when you're editing for a story that you're visually reading compared to you're editing for a story that you're audibly listening to, that was a bit of, I don't want to say conflict, but that was definitely an issue that was brought up. How did you guys navigate that? It was actually something Mike had to explain the direction he was taking to me. I've only ever edited things for reading, right? So how it visually flows across the page and and you mentally pick it up and absorb it. Whereas Mike was running it from the perspective of when it's being read to people, when they're audibly absorbing the content, which takes on a whole new life of its own that I'd actually never considered before. So I think we wound up with a whole extra set of editing, a whole extra draft of editing to go back. And some of the changes I'd made, Mike said, no, 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 read it out loud, hear it, and you'll understand better what we're trying to accomplish. And it really was a whole new way of editing for me. It definitely changed my approach to things. I think alliteration is a beautiful way to create ear candies without actually making music to them. And I think one of your lines, it says Bakersville started when several farming families found the fertile land and laid their claim to the earth below them is a wonderfully flowing sentence that otherwise wouldn't be elevated by alliteration if it wasn't said aloud. <laughs> and I think those are the little tidbits that we particularly loved to put in there that <laughs> the just made gems. it. Oh, yeah. oh, yes, yeah. that sounds so good when spoken. Yeah, the lovely beach and her beautiful bouquet of blossoming buds or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's fun to listen to. And I did a lot of it's them. Fun we to did write we too. did cut some of them off because yeah. I yes. did an excessive amount, but I thought about how fun it would be to just say it. <laughs> so some yeah, of the ones we kept in. Alliteration. Yeah. It, Missy would Well, and once I knew that, I started yeah. editing and choosing words specifically for alliteration just to bounce it back to him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, almost every edit that Missy put in, I accepted. There were things that I rejected outright because I just didn't like the way it sounded and it might have been better delivered. To give two examples of this, in the beginning of part one spring, after the little intro, Thorntop Mountain had always been a place where lovers spent a warm afternoon. But Missy's version was Thorntop Mountain had long been a place where lovers and the long versus always is such a stupid distinction in, in anybody's like debate. But for me, I said always in my mind so many times that that was mm. that had to be the line. It just it had to be. That was the first <laughs> line I wrote of the entire thing. And it just made sense to me. So sometimes you fight for things like that as long as it's not terrible. One of the other things was actually at the middle part of part one where it transitions and not all were equally fulfilled. In fact, one in particular was left wanting the lonely oak. And the very next sentence is the lonely oak. It starts off with it. And typically if you're writing, mm. you don't end a paragraph and start the next paragraph on the exact same sentence. It just doesn't work together. But it's one of those things where I, I told Missy, you just have to trust me here because what we're going to do is put in a little musical bit and it's going to make it a little bit better so that you don't remember that was the thing that was just said. It doesn't sound awkward. Mm. So at that part in the music, 
it transitions with a string swell in a slight minor key and adds a bit of mystery, which then comes back into the piano that Tommy wrote. Overall, I think Missy did a really fantastic job. And like I said, a lot of the, the words that are used in some of the entirely rewritten sentences just make it such a better piece in a narrative perspective. So now that you have the editing done, where do you guys go from there? Well, we want to take a written work and now transition it into a audible one. And so the very first step that you do is you come up with the absolute final form of your audio narration to begin with. At least that's what I thought to start because <laughs> it is way, way more difficult to do it that way. I was not in a great recording environment and I was still trying to figure that aspect out. But I decided that instead of trying to make the perfect audio track on there for my narration, that I just needed a rough draft track to try to get the overall tone and pacing that I was feeling the music could be in. And from there, we could split it up, edit it. But the hard part was I knew that I was going to be writing music with Tommy and we have slightly different composing styles. So do I want to limit the way that he writes based upon the narration that I do? It just didn't seem right. It seemed what would be better is doing that rough draft of the narration and then going back and listening to what we were going to to make music wise, taking all that music, creating a giant audio track and redoing the narration so that I could change my inflection and my tone to match the music better. So it's more synchronous to each other as opposed to independent products or the music syncing to the narration. I wanted it to work both ways. So it was just a way of reiterating the audio. So yeah, I recorded a rough draft of the narration and then we handed it off to start the music process. Let me tell you, actually seeing 45 minutes of an MP3 and just putting it in your music program, just seeing that is unbelievably daunting. So I think it was something we had to discuss immediately because of creativity limitations, but then on top of that, actual hardware limitations. So we really had to figure out, okay, how do we how do we pass this back and forth with as much ease as possible and be able to split it up so I can be working on one section while Mike is working on the other? Because ultimately, it did not make any sense from a production standpoint to work on the entirety of 45 minutes and have that as one project because I may work on a part and then Mike doesn't realize that I'm working on that part and we both work at the same part and we've now wasted hours of our time. So what we actually did is we went straight back after recording our wonderful narration and we outlined, okay, this is where we want the start of our second piece in part one. This is where we want the start of part two and part three. This is where we want Basically, it was just, where is this song going to transition from one point to the next? And then from there, we cut up the MP3s to match what we wanted. We use Cubase 11 Pro to record. So we use independent audio files and uh, actual projects to separate everything. So that, like Tommy said, we could jump back and forth and say, hey, today I'm going to work on, we just, we didn't have titles at the time. So it was, I'm going to work on 2.2. And you can work on yeah. 3.2. And that was how we named our actual tracks. So we have our separate projects. We have ways to transition back. We have an outline of what we want to do. But one of the key elements that we want to do with writing was themes. The very origin 
of the music for me was all focused on a theme that was an eight chord progression that you can hear at the tail end of the winter part. And it is the part where the lovely beach is dying and the lonely oak is holding on to her. And those eight chords going back and forth was supposed to be something very simple to convey that sort of sorrow in that particular part. It is a root note and it is a fifth harmony that goes on with it. And if you listen to it, it sort of dances around, but right at the moment that the lovely beach's last leaf falls and she dies, it stops playing that harmony. And musically, I wanted it to be so that when the harmony's done, their partnership was no longer there. She was gone. So if you listen to that music, that is where I based almost everything else I wrote was through the chords that I used there. And it's a tiny little tidbit, I guess, but it was a good way to start a theme. We had a very sorrowful part, but we also wanted to do a happier part, like a love theme. So Tommy and I kind of worked together on a project where we just played around and we streamed back and forth to each other and figured out which ideas could really work out for a love theme. And Tommy kind of ran with that theme idea and did some pretty awesome variations on that and his own themes. At least for my method of the motif that we created through the love theme, I didn't want the love theme to be hammered home, kind of like how movie scores hammer home their themes. Oh, I hear the theme. It's right there. It's right there. It's right there. But actually, I'm the opposite. I wanted to hammer home my themes over and over and over again. So very different composing styles, obviously, which I think benefited to each other because it wasn't in one entire score where the themes are going over and over. Well, okay, then how did you guys reconcile your two different styles to create one cohesive piece, especially considering you guys were working on the opposite sides of the country? I think to kind of preface this, The idea behind 1L2N is all of us siblings are working together to make one singular product that is better than any one of ourselves can make on our own, as we've said multiple times in this and throughout all of our podcasts. And I think to start out, Mike and I weren't doing that. Uh, We got like the technical aspects of that out of the way. It was, okay, we literally spent days figuring out what is the best way that we can stream this to each other. What is the best way we can send file formats to each other so that, you know, we aren't spending hours uploading unnecessary items? And then what is the best times to get together? We figured that out straight out the gate. But I think when it came to our different composing styles, we actually didn't start working together until I would say halfway through the rough draft is when we were we started working together when we started realizing, oh, our composing styles complement each other and we can help each other's weaknesses. Like I handed off, I was talking about how I was struggling with part three. That's when I handed off part three to Mike and he took that and just made it whew, that much better. And I, it's it's interesting because you can definitely hear the different composing styles. And there are some pieces that are solely 100% one person or not even 100%, like 95% one person. But for the majority of it, it was learning to work together, learning that it's if I hand this piece off to Mike, I want him to make the creative changes he feels like he needs to make and not complain about them, not be like, oh, but that's not what I envisioned or, oh, I don't like that. Like actually take his feedback, actually want to hear his creative input because it may be something that 
I'd never thought of. And if I let it settle, usually any changes he did make, if I let it settle for a little bit, I was like, oh yeah, these are the right changes for sure. An interesting aspect of this is we composed all of this with virtual instruments. So unfortunately, there is no live players on it, something that we would absolutely love to work with. But for monetary constraints, for the main part, most of the things that we worked with were things like uh, Spitfire Audio's um, libraries. We used the, the BBC Symphony Orchestra and we would play things to each other online sometimes. But it wasn't until we passed the files back and forth that I realized that not only do we have different composing styles, but we have different playing styles. I am not a strong keyboardist, whereas Tommy is much, much better at it than I am. He has a lot more control over timings and velocities on the keyboard, which I have a lot more timing and control on guitar than he does. So it is a, it's a difficult task to sort of reconcile those two different styles. One of the things that I was kind of adamant about is that although these are virtual instruments, I want it to play like it is a realistic production so that one day if we get to perform this live, we don't have to have a 60 piece string orchestra to play all the songs or we don't have to have, you know, a thousand different synths. I wanted it to actually feel like an orchestrated piece. And I noticed one of the parts of Tommy's playing is that he really likes to use individual instruments and play them like a piano. So specifically cellos, he likes playing cellos like a piano and I would listen to it and I go, no, 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 that's not, that's not realistic. It sounded good. Don't get me wrong. It sounded cool. But I went, no, 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 we, we have to play this live one day. We can't hire that many cellists. There's not that many cellos in whatever city we're going to. <laughs> so to me, I said, hey, look at this. You did three octaves of a cello doing short notes, all playing at the same time. Why don't you break that up to cellos at the lowest and then violas in the middle note and then you have, you know, violin twos at the top note. And that was something that we kind of had to wrap ourselves around. I pushed back against the idea of having every note separate and Tommy pushed back against, no, let's make something that sounds good. And I think in the long run, you will hear there are several parts where may not be super noticeable, but cellos are doing octaves that realistically wouldn't happen by itself or we have layering but it makes it a better sounding product in the long run. And I think that's kind of how we learned to work together. We knew each other's strengths and we didn't want to take away from that. But at the same time, we needed to point out each other's flaws and things that could be improved upon. And I trust Tommy for his rhythmic timing and his wonderful sense of orchestration. And you know, I hope he, he trusts me on learning my style as well. And I think we do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely someone's got to say, no, this cello sounds too much like a piano. Oh, and then so does this instrument sounds too much like a piano. So it's like, you know, you have to you have to put those boundaries on each other. And I also think that was another discussion we had was learning how to give each other constructive criticism, not only give it, but learn how to take it because we didn't want to take it like it was an insult. But we also didn't want to give it like we were insulting the other person. Yeah. And that was one of those things where you you could say candidly to me, it's like you're playing the cello like a pianist because that's what I am. I love the piano. It, I was like, oh, you, you know what? You're totally right. And I understand you've pointed out many areas where I've done that exact thing. So it was it was fun learning to work with each other and realizing our composing styles really do benefit each other. To dive just a little bit more into the composing together aspect, there was a lot of points 
when we were listening to each other's music and Tommy and I were go, wait a second, stop right there. Go back to this bar and here's what you need to do at this bar. And once one of us did it, we just were kind of blown away by how it changed the tone of the song. Probably my favorite part of uh, one of my favorite parts, we'll say, of the entire composition is the track that we call Autumn's End. And it is right when the lovely beach starts to lose some leaves. And Tommy creates this great cello piece with this violin. It's very dry sounding. And it's talking about somebody climbing up the trunk of the beach's trees to mark letters. And I love that whole ending section of that song. It is beautiful. But when he first played it to me, it was almost lifeless. And I remember saying, right at this measure here, you need to add a bass and you need to have the bass come in. And once Tommy added that one thing, that's all I mentioned. I said, just have the bass come in here. One thing. Then he went back and changed it and it sounded so much more impactful and powerful just because I mentioned a tiny thing that he might have not heard. And that was a very fun collaboration to do. Yeah. Personally, my favorite piece in the entire thing is winter. It is where we collaborated the most throughout that entire section. It's actually where you can hear all of our different themes come together, sometimes played by different instruments. The way that that specific track sort of worked is we started composing using the different themes. And if you listen to the beginning of winter, it touches on themes that have already come across in the music before it. And we are now just putting them all together in a beautiful, sad soup. <laughs> it was it was my favorite thing to do with Tommy, because I also think it's the oh, best yeah. piece that we composed. It was the piece where I think we started really trusting each other's composing styles and we sent it back and forth the most to each other. You sent me one piece and I said, I was like, OK, I'm taking parts, these parts out. I'm leaving this. I'm reorganizing it. I'm adding this and this. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to take that and then I'm going to add this, this, and this. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm taking it back, refining it. All right, give it back. And then you, it was you just took it all and you're like, boom, back done. and forth. And that, that was one of the best parts for me because I wanted it to be this crazy complex thing. And Tommy just stripped it out and said, no, 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 we're going to keep it simple here. You know, once you, you've created something together like that, you can really learn your strengths and weaknesses. That's my favorite piece in all of what we did from the moment that we announce part four winter to the moment that the narration stops and the lovely beach is dead. It is a great collaboration. It has the best dynamic levels. And most importantly to me, it revisits all the other musical pieces that we've done before that within this production in various ways. I think the most important part in all of this was, you know, we're creating this new idea. We want audiobook with a full composition right over it. Like this is this really hasn't been done to the extent that we want it done. And I think the most important part about all of this was making sure that the music and narration were telling the exact same story. And it didn't feel like they were fighting one another for a chance to shine. It felt like the narration worked and the music worked. And I feel as if personally winter is the antithesis of that idea working so beautifully it's those themes aren't coming in because we want them to come in there. Those themes are coming in because it's the narration referencing those ideas. And then it's the music also referencing those ideas through the motifs and themes we've created in the music. So it's just it all works together in this wonderful, beautiful meld. Yeah. And I, I really do think anyone enjoying that will very much so appreciate listening to 
winter again. It's definitely, I, I wanted this to be something that you could go back and listen to a couple times and get new things out of. And the first time might be the narration, of course, because you kind of have to pay attention to the story. But if you went back and listened to the music, I think you will really pick up on some small things. Yeah. Okay, so you have your story, you have your music. How did you guys determine where to say, okay, it's enough. Let's move on to the mixing. Let's finish this project out. Man, that was so hard. It's it's so hard to really just see this project and you see like tiny little things that you're like, mm, you know, maybe I want to change that a little bit or mm, maybe I want to add a little bit of something right here. And it, it it's really just realizing, okay, is the time that I'm putting into this to perfect it to the extent that I want it really worth what I'm like the time I'm actually putting into it. And and as an artist, it's it's probably one of the hardest things to just say, no, I have to stop here. This right here is good enough. I cannot perfect it. This will never be perfect, but I am okay with how it is right now. And I, I don't know how you feel about that, Mike, but yeah, I mean, there's a thing in video games called feature creep when you're developing and it is the idea that you constantly want to add more things to the game sometimes you have to just stop because otherwise you will constantly keep adding things to the games and that's the same thing that we did here we spent about two and a half months composing the music for this and at that point it's a huge time investment and is it perfect no it is definitely not perfect there's a lot of things that I, I learned about that I want to improve upon. But if I just constantly kept writing or constantly said, okay, no, we need to change the velocity on this note because it's a little bit harsh and we need to bring it down, would it make a better product in the long run? Possibly. But if you keep doing that over and over, you might run the risk of actually never making that product finished. And some yeah. you have to just cut it off at some point and say, I know where it needs to get better. And I see the flaws, but that doesn't mean that other people won't enjoy it, especially what we're doing as a company trying to create these. We are not only learning a set schedule that we have to stick by, but we are trying to figure out a efficient way to do productions so we can constantly give you more of them. You know, we want to turn this into something that we can pump out quality artistic pieces so how do you be efficient and artistic at the same time one of those things is to learning to say i'm done this is this is complete mm -hmm. and by the time you guys actually completed the entirety of the cursing tree about how long would you say did it take you from start to finish to complete this project well from the time that we started writing the story until the time of recording this right now is about one year which seems a little crazy. But there was other life things that we had to work about. I mean, I was working oh, yeah. two jobs and going to school full time. So we had to figure that sort of schedule out. In terms of music production, we started just before the new year and finished mixing this right at the end of April. So four full months to do complete composition mixing and a little bit of mastering minus maybe like two weeks because a few yes. video games came out here and there <laughs> yes, that we got yes, a little yes. distracted on <laughs> I, I would say that if let's say you come in and hire us amy if we were doing this for our full-time job it would be quicker than two months most likely but yeah the fact that we had so much other stuff going on while we're doing it is there's is, also setting up processes yes that's that the first a, time oh, yeah. of doing this 
figuring out the best methods and a lot of trial and error for the process itself, yep. for the logistics itself. Absolutely. Not to mention learning what equipment or software that you didn't realize you needed yep. and now you need to stop and research <laughs> yep. and and buy that. and yeah, there's there's it a was... lot more to it for the first time around. Yes. Yes. I think we bought like one or two, like maybe two or three different VSTs in this that were like, Yep, we definitely want this in it and we're gonna use this sporadically here and there. One of those was the Spitfire Audio Frozen Strings. It was actually a new release, I believe, at the time. Yeah. And yeah, we just were like, we Boy, found love instantly. Did that come out Got at it. a good time. Because oh, yeah. it really helped add texture to our strings in a lot of spots. It was the exact texture like we needed in a lot of these spots to keep it very audibly interesting. And another one of those was the BBC SO professional yeah with a bunch of different microphone positions that we could experiment with and try and get better tone but i think that that yeah. also goes back to that feature creep that we could have kept do doing we we recorded this with what we had and of course we did purchase some things along the way but as an artist you are limited by the tools that you have the tools don't make the composition they just change the composition and you need to learn to create the best thing that you can within the confines that you have. And maybe one day we will have nearly unlimited resources and be able to purchase every string library and every virtual instrument possible and record live musicians. Like I can't, I, that is one thing I cannot wait to do at some point. But unfortunately yeah. right now we are limited by time and by availability so how do you make it the best with what you have without getting into that feature creep again is is what we had to kind of go back and forth and tommy was much more essential limiting me to that than i was to him he, he was the voice of reason oftentimes of nope we don't need something else let's just go with what this is with all of the work that you guys have each put into this i want to ask what is the most important thing that you all have learned while making the cursing tree it was definitely learning to let go of a story idea when someone else takes a concept and runs with it. When we had originally developed just the very basic idea of this concept, it was completely different. It wasn't a tree that exclusively cursed. It was a tree that was more like a fortune teller about love. You know, people would go to it to get there. Their romantic forecast, you know, whether their relationship was going to work out or not. And the tree could bless the relationship or it could curse it based on the purity of an individual, you know. So completely different concept. And it would have been a, a multiple part. It wouldn't have just been, you know, singular story. And I had a really hard time letting go of that idea at first when Mike came up with a rough draft of a different narrative, but from the same source material. And it was... It was difficult because I'm like, I have these cool ideas. I want to do something with it. But learning that you don't have to actually use all the ideas that you come up with, that sometimes it's okay to let someone else do what they want, develop new ideas for something else. There's several things that I learned, an entire plethora of knowledge. I feel like I spent more time learning about the production and composition in these short four months that we did this than I have in some years of schooling. There are, there are just, this is what my passion was and it became something that I had to spend my free time on. 
I definitely learned setting up a workflow is incredibly important and how small steps can lead to huge losses of time if you don't do it correctly. But it's lessons that you have to learn along the way. One of the things is we came out with an original master. I did the mixing and mastering myself. And although it is, I'm sorry, I did not do all the mixing myself. Tommy helped me quite a bit with it. And I put a lot more of the the finishing touches on it and mastering. And I am not a professional by any means, but I made an original master. And then I realized that that was at the wrong volume level for streaming services, which is where this will most likely get released to everybody here. And so I had to go back and remaster a lot of things just for that volume level. So that right there was half a week time that I had to really spend trying to perfect some stuff until I said, you know what, it's going to be as good as it is and let's move on. So learning those small things has been the most important where I can now go into the next production, which we are actually already working on. So even though this was a pain to create, I believe the next one will also be the pain to be to be completely honest there's nothing that's pain free but it will be easier oh yeah for me the most important thing and i i'm i want to put a bunch of the things that i learned under one umbrella it was is just the idea of learning the rules and i don't think there's any particular set of rules for making art but there are essentially guidelines that you can follow and it was learning those rules slash guidelines so to help me become a better composer and understanding why those rules slash guidelines were put into place so that if I wanted to break those guidelines, I could and I understand why I'm breaking them and where I want to break them rather than just saying, you know what, this cello needs to sound like a piano. And I think that was extremely important for me. Learning what does sound good, what doesn't sound good, working with people, like understanding that it's okay to give up your creative idea because they may have a better one that would strengthen your original one. So yeah, super fun to learn. Are there any uh, hidden gems you want to highlight that are in the cursing tree? There are so many small hidden gems that I really enjoy. If you, again, go back and listen to part four, that whole first track is just a repeat of things that we've already done, but in a sort of remixed different way. One of my favorite little gems is stuff that Tommy does in some of his composition where birds will be chirping or flying by and you can hear those birds. A squirrel is running up the cliffside and the piano starts climbing the notes higher up. And it's what Tommy describes as ear candy, which is the perfect way to put it. It's a way to add that little bit of flavor so that the narration and the music pay off each other and work well together. One of my favorites was accidental, and it is right at the very, it's like, it was one of the last things I did when I was editing the final draft of the narration. And it's directly in the middle of part one, where we first start talking about the Lonely Oak. And there's a point where Tommy's piano comes in at the exact same time that I say cool, and it just rings out, but also gives a chilling sound. And I heard it a little bit ahead of it in the rough draft. And I went, you know what? This would be absolutely perfect if it went just right on this spot. And I moved the entire audio bit right over there. And man, to to me, I just absolutely love that tiny little piano note hitting the exact time coolly said and giving a chilling sense. So that's that's some of my my gems is, is really Tommy's composition showing you some of the really fun things that that you can do with the orchestrated narrative. It's this is the one time I think I went super, super ridiculously bold with my quote unquote hidden moments. And it's in winter 
and it's specifically i think my favorite composing i've ever done it's the wedding theme except it's minor and then it mixes the wedding with the storm so i call it that section particularly just as like an inside thing i call it a stormy wedding but it's <laughs> it's basically right at that part where the narration mentions weddings and then it also is mentioning the lonely oak feeling this anxiety that he felt again like once more like he did in the storm and i combined those two themes and then on top of combining those two themes it's very 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 hard to hear but specifically in the viola, I have it very, very slowly playing and very harshly playing the love theme, but in a minor right in the background. So it's just it's the love theme. It's the wedding theme. And it's the storm part of the storm playing all at once. And I, I was just, yeah, I love that piece. Yeah. All, all of all of it works so well. I don't know if it's necessarily hidden, but in the storm, when the hail is falling down. And it just, yeah, okay. Yeah. It crashes. <laughs> Pretty good move. Yeah, it crashes one after the other. It's it, it's fun, but it's just one of those moments that you can you can listen to, and it benefits the overall orchestrated narrative. Yes, it's it's one of those moments. Yeah, the hail crashes, and then another, boom, and another, boom. That's that is one of those moments, at least to me, where I hear it and I I think. Wow, the music and narration is really working together at this exact moment. I loved it. It's great. So what I'm hearing is you should go listen to it over and over and over again to find all these hidden gems. Absolutely, yes. We call it the Missy style of entertainment (laughs) viewing. Entertainment consumption. Entertainment consumption. (laughs) The Missy method. The Missy Method. Ooh, MMO. If you want to learn more about that, listen to our regular podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> small plug, plugs. small plug. <laughs> now, I know you guys talked about it before that this was going to be part of an extended story. And then you kind of paired it back and sort of made it its own story. Are there any plans for additional segments to the story in the future? Um, I, I'll say this. My primary concern was telling a complete story. I do have ideas of where it could go in the future, but I don't need to be the one that writes them. I was going to say exactly this, uh, or at least this is how I feel about it. it. It's left to such a position where the original idea that myself, Amy, and Missy all came up with can be explored, but in short story format where it feels episodic where each short story is contained and finished within its own short story, but at the same time playing back to the idea that this is part of the cursing tree. There's no like interconnectivity with, I don't know, like, oh, cursing tree expanded universe. No, it's it's not necessarily that. It's just, it, it's more like character studies, but the cursing tree happens to curse one of those couples or so on and so forth. At least that's how I feel. I have some preliminary ideas about the broader universe that this exists in but very rough and nothing i'm specifically working on right now but i wouldn't be opposed to approaching it in the future you know way down the road for another project i think it's one of those things you don't want to you don't want to come in at a story saying there's going to be a sequel because i find that to be very cheesy i like stories that are complete but I also don't want to discount the idea that there could be more to it. Mm-hmm. I think that 
the primary concern was telling a complete story so that mm -hmm. the audience can get used to the idea of an orchestrated narrative. And for that, I would I would say yes, we are we are done for the moment. But who knows? Maybe in the future. Do you guys have any final thoughts about what you want the listeners to take away from the cursing tree? I think above all else, I feel as if it's very important that listeners take away that this music is trying to elevate the narration. The same story is being told through both pieces of media. They're just being played at this exact same time. And I think that the music elevates and is almost a catalyst for strengthening the emotion that's being told through the narration. I think that that's the most important thing is that music is a driving force for emotion and the narration and music are working together to make you feel a certain type of way. At its core, The Cursing Tree was about a love story and the dangers of your actions without taking into account how it could affect others. And this is represented in two cases. The Lonely Oak had a cursing power that he did not know about. And when he got jealous and summoned a curse, it destroyed almost everything he knew about. The same thing with the people that came to the mountain to show their love. Arbor glyphs actually do hurt trees. It's not something that you should do. And the idea that you can go about having your actions without considering the impact it could have on somebody else even as small as a tree, is something that I would challenge people. Always try and do less harm and be a more loving spirit. And that that is the, the core lesson that you could understand from the cursing tree is that your actions do affect others in the long run. So even actions that you perceive as, as beautiful or marking something beautiful can have unintended consequences to others. Yeah, just be mindful of what you do and try and do as little harm as possible in that process. I want to thank each of you for taking the time to explore your creative process and giving our listeners an in-depth look into our first major production. We did it, guys. Congratulations. <laughs> Yay! And to everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed this special bonus episode of the 1L2N podcast. If you like what you heard, if you have any questions for the team, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Reddit at 1L2N Productions. And don't forget to check out our latest podcast episode, which you can find at 1L2NProductions.com. And if you guys want to help support future projects like this one, please head over to our Patreon and support us on there. That would be much appreciated. Thank you for joining us today and be on the lookout for news regarding our next featured project. Thank <laughs> you.